we're in Galatians. And I started last week and did the intro. And if you missed the intro and need an introduction, you can go online on uh, our website, James, is that right? It's still on their website or on uh, YouTube, that too? Or just website, website and YouTube? You can, James says, yeah, you can go to that. And one of the things that, you know, what I said about Galatians, and the critical thing, and when Paul wrote it, probably the first book he wrote, um, he's dealing with two, two factors of that church. One is they're abandoning the gospel in its purest form, and they're adding Jewish law, Jewish works, Jewish tradition to it, especially circumcision. In addition to that, they are critical of Paul's authority as an apostle, and they cast doubt on whether or not Paul is qualified to bring the truth about Christ. And so what I share with you is a large part of this whole book is, is about that. We kind of began a little bit last week and, and saw, uh, talked about the message. Um, from. Let me just kind of give you a rough, rough outline real quick, three points of that outline. From chapter 1, verse 11, where we'll pick up today, through the end of chapter 2, Basically, Paul is defending his apostleship. And other things, he's going to defend his apostolic authority. Then in chapter 3 and 4, he's going to present the truth of the gospel as opposed to the false teaching. And then in chapter 5 and 6, and then for most of 6, he's going to give a practical application. Uh, that's where we're going to get the part about the fruit of the Spirit and, and all that stuff. So that's, that's what, what we see coming up. And so today, uh, we get through verse 11 to the end of the chapter, and I mentioned last week, that two things were critical in, in Paul dealing with his apostleship, and that is his authority and his authenticity. He has the authority of the apostle, and then he has an authentic message. He is an authentic apostle. We saw that briefly in the introduction, and we're going to see that played out in more detail now in what lies ahead. So I'm going to begin in uh, verse 11. For I would have you know, my brethren, that the gospel which, I, which was preached by me is not, get this, according to man. So right off the bat, Paul is beginning to give the, the source of the gospel that he has. The word gospel is uh, the word good news. It's, 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 it, speaks of, it speaks of something that comes into a person's life that is transformative. It was used in, in that culture of the, the, a war being won. Or it could be used of uh, if the emperor had a child, they would come and preach the gospel. It, it concerns a core teaching as well as a certain authority or power that goes with that teaching. In 1 Corinthians 15, verse 3, Paul defines the gospel and says it is that Jesus died for our sins according to the scripture and was buried and was raised back to life on the third day according to the scripture and was seen again. That is the core message of the gospel to Preach the gospel is evangelism. That's the word that's used, and he'll use that some. So he makes it clear that the gospel that he has, that it wasn't from a man, not according to a man. It didn't come from a man. It wasn't the source. For he says, I neither received it from man, nor was I taught it by man, in essence, but I received it through a revelation of Jesus Christ. Here then is the authority that Paul has as an apostle. He did not receive the gospel for sin. So no one came and brought him the gospel. He brought them the gospel. The people at Galatia, those churches, they got the gospel from Paul. Paul didn't get it from anyone. 
nor did someone teach to him, and nor, nor, nor was he had this vague idea, and then other people came and taught it to him. He says, I got it from a revelation of Jesus Christ. Now, the, it, the revelation of Jesus Christ is interesting. It could be one of two things. He either got it from Jesus, it was the revelation that Jesus gave to him, or it was the revelation, revelation that is about Jesus. Scholars look at it both ways. It really doesn't matter. It's the same general idea. That it had a divine origination in Paul's life. Now, you know, we go back to uh, Acts chapter 9 where Paul was saved. And he repeats, or Luke repeats, Paul sharing that salvation experience in Acts 22 and Acts 26. And there he had a divine encounter with Christ. Now, it does not mean we ought not to think it was at that moment that he received the gospel. Uh, but at a later time, it was revealed to him in some way. Now, we're going to see some more things about Paul that would help us understand it. It is probably best to understand that Paul is a very, very unique individual who had the opportunity to have the Spirit of God reveal to him the truth of the gospel. Paul is the last human being on the face of human history to ever have the revelation of Jesus Christ from the Spirit about the gospel message given to him from a divine source and not from either scripture or someone teaching him. He's it. So when someone says they've got a revelation or a new revelation from God, that is heretical. So that matter, you know, you understand what I'm saying? Someone says to you, hey, you know, I had this vision and God revealed something new to me. No, he did not. It flies in the face of scripture. Our revelation, I was going to hold this up, it's the Bible, it's not the Bible, it's just a copy of the, the book of Galatians in English and Greek. But this, if it was the Bible, that, that it's like holding up your smartphone, you used to hold up the Bible, now you hold up your smart device. This is the word of God. Um, that is the revelation of God to us. The focal point of that is Jesus. There is nothing else but Paul. Because scripture wasn't written yet, New Testament, because he hadn't written any of it yet, knew anybody else, his revelation came not from other men, but from the Lord. So here is the authority of his message. Now he talks about his life. Now Paul has a fascinating experience to share with the church of Galatia and the churches. He had this divine origination of his message. It was revealed to him that the word for revelation, uh, apocalypse, it's, it's what we get for the book revelation. It's the divine revealing of something that was hidden. So it was hidden from him. Here it is. For you have heard of my former manner of life in Judaism, how I used to persecute the church of God beyond measure and try to destroy it. So the first thing he reminds them of, because he probably taught them when he was with them, is his past persecution of the church. Paul, as we know from Acts, sought to destroy the church. He sought to, sought to lay waste to it. Actually, the word, one of the words used here uh, means, not the word destroy, it means to lay waste, is to devastate. It is to wipe off and eradicate in its entirety. Um, it was a word of rage and anger. Paul, Paul acted towards the church 
with hatred and animosity. He saw the Christian movement as a tremendous heresy concerning Judaism. And he never saw Jesus to that point as being the Messiah. So he has this kind of, he's saying, I told you this. You heard of it because I told you, really. And then he went on. Not only do they have this history of, of the destruction of the church, he says this, and this is fascinating too. I was advancing in Judaism beyond many of my contemporaries and, uh, and my and, and countrymen, being more extremely zealous of my ancestral tradition. So right here, we begin, we saw the authority of Paul, and now we see something about the authenticity. There'll be two examples of authenticity. The first, how do you know Paul is authentic? It's because he was in opposition to Christ. He was pursuing something else. And what he was pursuing was to be the fullest extent of Judaism. He says advancing. The idea of advancing uh, means to make steady progress and to go at a rate beyond others, really, uh, of anyone else. And he was zealous of his ancestral traditions. Paul was an extremely brilliant man. Um, I, I've shared this before, and if you're fairly new, I may not have shared it, we started coming. Paul is one of the most brilliant men who's ever walked the face of the earth. We don't, we don't fully appreciate that. Even within Christianity, we take Paul for granted. Outside of Christianity, people would be hesitant to give Paul the same type of of credit they would give other great thinkers, a Plato, a, a Socrates, a, a, a Newton, uh, Einstein, any of those guys, who would name them. What Paul wrote in, in those letters he gave to us, he, he took the story of Jesus, the authentic story of Jesus, and he, he systematized the teachings and thoughts of the early Christian believers, and he gave it to us in a form that we could understand and in doing so, he has so completely influenced the Christian faith that there was not any legitimate strain of theology. And, I, and I'm talking about within mainstream, and there's a lot of different strains, you know, and, you know, whether you're Calvinist or you're, you know, a free willist or, you know, your millennial views or, or whatever you believe, whatever you believe, you know, charismatic, the Catholic, everybody comes back to Paul. Everything comes back to how he taught. Now, I know it comes back to Jesus. I got that. One of the major movements in the liberal area of Christianity, and I, and I use that word lightly when I say Christianity with the liberal area, and I'm talking about political or social. I'm talking about the denial of the authority of God's word and Jesus as the only means of salvation. is to put a wedge between Paul and Jesus. To say that Paul, in essence, taught something different. Same thing that he's accused of here. And yet all, all of the early thought fathers, the most brilliant early church thinkers we had, uh, from Justin Martyr to Augustine, um, Luther, Calvin, I mean, just whoever, all came to Paul to understand theology. Part of the reason he was able to do that is he was a brilliant pharisaical, had a brilliant pharisaical mind. He understood Judaism, when Paul writes and he starts the, the connection of the Old Testament to Christ. Remember, I say this 
Almost every time I come before you, I'll say it again this next Sunday coming up. The Old Testament promises something. The New Testament fulfills that. And one of the major, if not the major reason we know that outside of Jesus himself is Paul's letters. Because Paul constantly makes that clear to us. And Paul, not only does he have the authority of an apostle, he has an authenticity no one else has because of his brilliance in understanding the Old Testament. In Paul's day, his teacher was a guy named Gamaliel. Gamaliel is found in Acts. He's even the one that's talked about, when they talk about putting the apostles of Peter to death, he says, let him alone. If he's, if he's not of God, it won't matter. If he is of God, God will take care of him. Some think Gamaliel may have even become a Christian. He, he, Gamaliel was, I think he was, the, I think he was the grandson of the great uh, scholar uh, Hillel, brilliant Jewish mind that's quoted differently. You, know, you don't know all this, but these brilliant Jewish guys, Paul was the next in line. Paul was to be the next brilliant Jewish mind. I tell you all this so you understand that when he began to grasp the gospel as Jesus revealed to him, he took all of his vast knowledge of his scripture, we call the Old Testament, but his scripture, and he took what was revealed to him and he began to connect all the dots. And we have the result of that connection. Especially in Galatians, in Romans, you have the two deepest theological explanations of the gospel around coming from Paul. And you'll see it throughout this letter. He says, I was zealous for the traditions of my ancestors. Then he says, but God. Now, here's notice the difference. In verses 12 and 13 and 14, He's talking about himself, me, 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 I, ha I was advancing, I used to persecute. And now in verse 15, at the moment of his conversion, it moves from I to God. I was doing all this, but God, who set me apart from my mother's room and called me through his grace, was pleased to reveal his son in me so that I might preach him among the Gentiles. I'll stop there. So get this. So here's what we see. God set me apart. When did God set him apart? He said, before I was born. I joke all the time that I was Baptist, you know, when my, before my, my mom was pregnant, I was Baptist. I grew up in a Baptist church, you know, before I was born. It's all I've ever known. Someone said, if you weren't Baptist, what would you be? I said, I'd be embarrassed. I don't know what else to tell you. <laughs> Some of you have come from other denominations to come to Baptist. You know, I, I don't want to say anything. About time. Paul, but before he was born, God had set him apart for this. I, obviously, I upset her. I'm sorry. <laughs> You're fine. Don't worry about a thing. I, the kids do that all the time in front of me. One kid, I mean, there was a, two kids out there ran away from me in the comments. Why would anybody run away from me? I'm a jovial guy. I give them stuff. Give them whatever they want. Kind of hurt my feelings. What was I talking about? God set me apart by the mother's womb. There you go. So, 
I think, I firmly believe that scripture teaches and Paul teaches that God moves in our lives and works in our lives before you and I move in our lives and work in our lives. I know there's always debate about predestination or election or not. No, I won't get into all that here. If you've been around long enough, you understand where I come from. But it's very clear from Paul when he teaches that God makes decisions before we make decisions about our life, okay? We, there is never a moment, not only does God, it's not only is it a matter of God not knowing, like, gee, I wonder what David's gonna do. It's not just that he knows what I'm gonna do. It's that God has moved me to do what I do, except for when I rebel against him. Paul says, because of grace. Not that I earned it. Not that I deserve it. But your view of grace needs to be big enough to allow for the fact that God moves in your life before you know what's going to happen. And there's nothing you decide to do for God that God hasn't already decided you were going to do it. I will tell you. Does we have faith? Yeah, we have faith. Do we make decisions? Yeah, we make decisions. Do I have to make a choice? Yeah, I have to make a choice. Do I make bad choices? You better make bad choices. Is that God's fault to make bad choices? No, I rebuild against God. It's my choice. When I make good decisions, is that, do I get the credit for that? No. God gets the credit. Because God moves me in my life where he wants me to be. I can rebel. Or, and I'm preaching about this Sunday, so I'm giving you some insight, not this. I can obey God. So Sunday, I'm preaching about obedience or disobedience. Oh, I hate that subject, people. People say, I hate when the preacher preaches about obedience. Well, you need to obey God and be at church and hear it anyways. He was pleased, it says, to reveal his son in me. The revelation was in me to preach to you. Now, Paul's not saying that he revealed something new to me, but he's saying that I have come to understand Jesus, and I preach it to you. So when I preach on Sunday, I have no special insight, no special revelation, no special knowledge. Paul, Peter, James, Luke, Mark, John, Jude, James, the guy who wrote Hebrews, I think I got them all, because we don't know who wrote Hebrews. They have it. But what I have the privilege of doing is to communicate it. Paul has something I don't have. He has a lot of it. He has a revelation of Jesus in him. My task right now is the best of I can with all of the inability that exists to communicate that to you. It's not my job to rewrite or redo what Paul has said. It's my job to communicate it. 
Now, Paul then is going to get to the meat. This is, this is the part that's we're coming to the second part of his authenticity. I had all that. I already had it. He says in the rest of verse 16, and I did not immediately consult with flesh and blood. I didn't ask anybody about it. I didn't go talk to anybody. He then says, nor did I go to Jerusalem to get those guys to tell me or prove what I had to say. He didn't put it right there. He says, nor did I go to Jerusalem to those who were apostles before me. They were apostles before me because they were followers of Christ before me because they were with Jesus. But we're all apostles. I didn't go to them. I didn't go ask their permission. I didn't go say, Peter, what do you think about what I'm teaching? Paul says, I'm every much an apostle as they are. That gives him the authority to share what he shares. We're going to see, I think, next week or the next couple of weeks, he even had to put Peter and correct Peter. He says, but I went to Arabia and returned once more to Damascus. Now, Arabia... So, so I know you got this picture of Aladdin, okay? And, you know, do all the Arabia thing, okay? Yeah. All right. But Arabia back then, you know, we, we call some of the things the same thing, but Arabia was a really big area. And Arabia most likely included Damascus. You know, if, if you go in your book, you, you got, if you have a real Bible and not the kind you print off like I did, and it has maps. That would have been so cool if I had printed maps in here. That would have blown you in a table of contents. But if you have the maps and you look and there's, and, and, um, from your perspective, here's the Mediterranean Sea, here's the Sea of Galilee, uh, here's Syria. That whole area east of the Jordan River kind of concluded. It's just this huge area he included. Yeah, I was in there. He was, he was growing. He was learning. Then he went back to Damascus. You can probably, in, in um, Acts 9, some of that's still there. Then he says, yes, though. In Acts 9, in the very end of Acts 9, he said, it went to Jerusalem. Three years later, I went up to Jerusalem. So it was three years after his conversion. Three years after his conversion. This is the second part of his authenticity. The first part had to do with what he was called from. As you was here, it has to do with his meeting. And I became acquainted with Cephas, that is Peter. Stayed with him 15 days. I, I hung around Peter 15 days. Why? To get his approval? No. He'd already he'd been dealing with this already. In fact, you know, he, they, they ran him out of Damascus already trying to kill him because he was sharing the gospel. The killer became the kill eat, doesn't make sense. The hunter became the hunted, let's put it that way. So I went to Peter because I needed to meet him. Now, this was probably, as most scholars would say, to assure these guys that he was the real deal. So I hung with Peter for two weeks, 15 days. And I didn't see any of the other apostles, didn't see John. Didn't see Matthew, didn't see those guys. Except James, the Lord's brother. Now, here's the interesting. When he writes Galatians, James, the Lord's brother, is a full-fledged apostle, and he is head of the church at Jerusalem. But when this occurred, which is about 14 or 15 years before he wrote this, James wasn't the head of the church at Jerusalem. Peter was still the main guy. Now, one of the things I say all the time about the book of Acts and I understand this, you know, it's about the Holy Spirit, you know, working and all that. But the, but the book of Acts focuses on two men from an earthly perspective, Peter and Paul. That's how it is. The history of the, of the early church until about 70 AD when Jerusalem was destroyed and by then Peter and Paul were dead. There are two men 
that move that church forward. It's Peter and Paul. And here you have this meeting of these two great men. One of them, Paul, is this brilliant thinker. And the other, Peter, is this brilliant speaker and leader and mover. Most likely, Paul wasn't that great a speaker. There's evidence from Acts and other places that Paul, you know, in Acts, he preached so long, someone fell asleep and fell out of a window. (laughs) Killed themselves. He had to go bring them back to life. Can you imagine the liability insurance on that guy? But Peter, Peter was the speaker. Peter spoke and thousands came to Christ. Peter, Peter would speak and, and, and just the movement was phenomenal. Early in the life of the church, they needed the great speaker, the great leader, the charismatic guy, the big guy, the rock, the guy who was earthy and probably was crusty and didn't use the best Hebrew and uh, Greek and all that. But as the church grew, it needed the brilliance and the scholar of Paul. It needed the thinker because they were all dying off. And there he was. And they met. And John was there. So then I left. Fifteen days. Didn't enough time to learn much. I went to Syria, Cilicia. <laughs> I was still unknown by sight to those churches of Judea, which were in Christ. Only they kept hearing, he who once persecuted us is now preaching the faith, which he once tried to destroy. And they were glorifying God because of me. Just think about that. They were glorifying God because of me. Not glorifying him, but glorifying God, God who had saved me. Remember last week when I was started a series on David and I said, you know, what, a, what an unbelievable way to be known, a man after God's own heart. Wouldn't that be cool when I died 25, 30 years, 40 years? No. No, man, I'm 59. When I die in 40 or 50 years, man after God's own heart. But if you can't put that, put God was glorified because of, then you probably won't put that either. But that'd be cool to be known as that person, to be that guy that you can say, you know what? God was glorified because I was thinking uh, this past week, I thought, uh, I shared Sunday, my 40th anniversary in ministry was Monday. And so I I reflect and think about those 40 years. I can't remember uh, 28 of them. I can't remember a thing, but I was reflecting. And I think about all the dumb, stupid, idiotic things I did and how much I messed up. But I was thinking, can you imagine being Paul? And thinking about how you used to kill Christians, persecute the church, curse them, hunted them down, drug them. And now, now you can say God is glorified because of me. Wow. We can never imagine, obviously he knew he was forgiven, all that. Can I never imagine what must have gone through Paul's mind all those years he served Christ? But a burning desire, a passion to help those people whom he once persecuted know about Jesus. And to see that the lost Gentiles came to Christ 
so that God could be glorified through all that he did. Anybody got any questions they want to ask? The Iwana kids get out a little bit earlier now. The next thing, so I get the coast right. Yes. Well, it's a little bit like, um, you know, Cephas is his technical, is his name, and Peter kind of is his nickname. So it's like sometimes, uh, you know, uh, I'll call Barry Barry, and sometimes I call him Bear, and sometimes I call him Knucklehead, or you big doofus, you know, whatever. It's that, it's that kind of, this is a more of a formal situation, and so, you know, it's that kind of formality. Question? Anything else? Yes, ma'am. It's really hard to say, but if we make the assumption that a lot of these guys were all pretty close to the same age, in that, that uh, it would probably be when Paul was persecuting the church, he had to be over 30 to start with some of the stuff that he was doing. So I would, Gamaliel was his teacher. I'm going to say that Paul, if you, if you have him born about zero, about the time of Christ, Peter. So when he wrote this, this is in um, 48, 49. So I'm going to say when he wrote this, he's probably between 45, 55 years of age, probably. Yes, sir? How does the, as the words that we heard tonight, how does the Holy Spirit lay into the dwelling in? Well, you know, obviously the way, you know, Christ appeared to him. And from that moment on, the Holy Spirit would have been the one who would have been dealing with him. One of the interesting things about the Trinity is you have the Father, Son, Holy Spirit, and yet they're one. And so for, the, for Jesus to work in his life, it's for God to work in his life, it's for the Spirit to work in his life. But from the technical standpoint, we would assume that it was the Spirit who was working in his life to help him understand the revelation which was about Jesus. So on the other hand, nope. Anything else? Okay. So, Goodbye.